Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Laura Noonan, our investment banking correspondent, Emma Dunkley, our retail banking correspondent. And we also have a guest, Lee McCormack, who is a market infrastructure expert. Down the line from Barclays headquarters in Canary Wharf, we also have Martin Arnold, our banking editor. Today we'll be talking about the proposed merger of Deutsche Börse and the London Stock Exchange and what that might mean for the city's banks. Also we'll be looking at Barclays' latest results and the disastrous 11% fall in the share price. And also the other two big UK banks, the part state-owned banks, RBS and Lloyds, which reported last week. First, though, to that story about the London Stock Exchange and what the planned acquisition or merger, depending on your point of view, by the Deutsche Börse means, particularly for the banking industry. Just to go off on a quick aside, Lee, thanks very much for joining us, by the way. We should say that as of Tuesday morning, there is a potential rival bid for the London Stock Exchange from America's Intercontinental Exchange. It's a kind of weird statement that they've put out, the kind of holding position. What do you see as coming from that, if anything? I don't see that statement as any sort of surprise. The surprise to me that there's no one else sort of lining up yet, and I'm sure they are in the background. So you would also have the CME group would be looking at this merger of equals, although I'd probably classify it as a takeover from Deutsche Bulls and LSE clearly being the target. So you also have the other large players will be looking at this NASDAQ and probably Hong Kong Exchange Group or SGX as well in those guys in Asia. So this is far from a done deal. And I think there's going to be lots more twists and turns to come. Just for the sake of argument, let's go with the idea that Deutsche Börse and LSE do consummate their plan. What does that mean for the big banks? I think it depends on which department you're talking to. So maybe the retail or the cash equities kind of guys might see this potential for some efficiencies there and to drive down the cost of trading there. The other side of it, in the derivatives in a fixed income space, you might well see a little bit more reluctance around the deal and they'd like to see a little bit more information. Yes, there are capital efficiencies to be gained. Certainly in the statement that's been put out, they're talking about in derivatives, cross-margining between, for example, the Eurex deep liquidity in their financial futures products versus the swap clear product that LCH have, which is obviously part of the LSE group. Yeah, maybe Laura can come in here because that's an increasingly important aspect, I suppose, of how investment banks run themselves. In the past, they might have had scant thought about the capital costs of those kinds of margin positions, but that's the all-important focus for a most investment banks these days. It is a very important focus, but it isn't the only one. So yes, if you would have the merger go through, it would be more efficient probably from the cost of the capital perspective. But there's also the cost to trade. And if you had a big merge entity, it would have very significant pricing power. And when you talk to banks, they seem pretty concerned that they would end up ultimately paying a higher overall cost. They seem to think that the big dominance and the big pricing power that the new and large group would have would actually cancel out the benefits of those capital efficiencies. And Lee, do you think that concern is enough to make Brussels look so seriously at this that it blocks it? I'm not so sure that Brussels will necessarily block it on those grounds. If you look at the failed merger between Deutsche Börse and NICE, 
it wasn't blocked per se, but there were remediations put in there, the consequences of the deal, such that it made it less financially attractive to the board and the shareholders. So there could well be remedies put in place whereby LSE would have to sell the LCH, for example, or maybe slightly less harshly, they would have to ensure that they remained some sort of open access provider like they are now. Obviously, the two clearinghouses run different models at the moment. Yeah, because Eurex operates this kind of vertical silo, so-called, yeah. which means they tie in people to their clearing settlement. Could that get undone? Well, I think MIFID 2 is, is keeping an eye on that anyway, and, and eventually it will be undone. That's the new incoming rules on asset management, securities trading, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think on the surface, that sounds slightly scary, obviously, because Deutsche Börse and Eurex have significant revenues from the trading of derivatives. But actually what it means, it just means that the clearinghouse becomes even more important. So maybe the split between the revenues shifts from the trading layer down to the clearing layer. And you know, financially, there's probably less impact on Deutsche Börse as an overall group. So the splitting open of the clearinghouse is potentially less significant. Okay. And a final word then, just to put you on the spot, do you think this deal is going to happen? Uh, there is zero chance this deal will go through. <laughs> and I'll tell you for why. It might sound, uh, I, I think the rivals are lining up. I think there are hundreds of investment bankers, uh, the other investment banks who have not been put onto this deal, who are going around and calling their clients. And I think the smallest risk of this overall deal is the regulatory side of it. I think the commercials and other factors will make the deal change, at least. Well, as you say, there's one other aspect where the banks benefit. It's in that advisory capacity. Uh, there's lots of investment banking work going on, I think, here. Yeah. So thanks very much for your thoughts on that. We'll keep our listeners posted. Let's move on to the second topic for the day. Martin, can you hear me in Canary Wharf? Yes, hi. So Barclays, we knew this was going to be a fairly important results day. This is Jess Staley's first results as chief executive. Has he astonished the market with a stroke of genius? I think the jury's still out on whether it's a stroke of genius or not. The shares have fallen as much as 11% this morning in Barclays. And investors have taken fright, particularly at the new chief executive, Jess Staley's decision to slash future dividends by more than 50%, also to unveil a pretty drastic reorganization and reshuffling of Barclays' assets, including plans to sell down its majority stake in its African business and to accelerate the rundown of its non-core unit, which was set up a couple of years ago to offload a vast pile of toxic assets in Barclays. And underlying all of that, the, the fourth quarter results were pretty poor. They missed analyst expectations with a very steep loss of almost £2 billion, largely down to a large provision for compensating UK customers on mis-selling insurance products. Let me bring Laura in on the investment banking side, because as you say there, the fourth quarter didn't look pretty. On the investment banking side, I'm guessing it wasn't particularly nice either. The fourth quarter wasn't a great one for the IB. I mean, they had a quarterly loss of £146 billion. That was compared to a profit a year earlier. The outlook, though, doesn't look too bad. In their commentary this morning, they said that the trading for Jan and Feb had been broadly in line with the figures a year earlier. Now, other banks have been guiding towards having a sharp fall off in January and Feb. So people are kind of encouraged by that. They are expecting the overall first quarter results to be worse than the first quarter of 2015. But that's largely, they say, because of a very strong March last year. So all in all, the outlook for the investment bank doesn't actually look too bad compared to peers. Well, I think it's fair to say that Jess Daly hasn't maybe made the best impression with his first annual results announcement. But perhaps, after all, this will be proved to be the right tactic to go forward. As you say, Laura, the investment bank may be getting into the right shape to move forward. 
maybe Africa is too risky a business to be in, at least for the short term. And maybe cutting the dividend will prove in the long term a good way to generate capital rather than going to the market for a rights issue. Time will tell. Well, let's move on to our third and final item for today. A look back at the UK's partially state-owned banks, both of which reported at the end of last week, RBS and Lloyd's. Emma, Lloyd's looked like a bit of a bright spot in an otherwise fairly glum set of earnings for the UK banks. Why was that? What did they do so well? Yes, well, there's quite a different picture emerging between the two biggest state-backed banks in the UK, Lloyds and RBS. So on the one hand, you've got Lloyds, which reported admittedly a slight dip in pre-tax profits of £1.6 for last year. And this was largely due to yet another provision it was forced to make for payment protection insurance mis-selling, which amounted to £2.1 Although it did guide that this could be the last and should cover for uh, potential claims over the next two years. But it delighted investors and sent the share price surging after revealing a bumper £2 billion dividend payout. 2.25p was an ordinary dividend amounting to about £1.6 and it unveiled a special dividend as well, which income investors were particularly thrilled about. So this sent the share price soaring and actually sat in contrast with RBS, which posted its eighth successive net annual loss of about £2 billion, much the disappointment of investors, I should say, at this point. And in contrast with Lloyd's, RBS suggested that it will not be able to pay out capital distributions until after the first quarter of next year, before it had previously guided that it could be the case that it pays a dividend in respect of this year. So a lot of investors were disappointed about this news. It also said, I think for the first time, that the payout of capital distribution will also be dependent on its divestment of Williams & Glynn, the challenger bank it's trying to hive out of its business. And it said that there are some delays here in terms of the process. So the gap widens between those two banks. Do you think that the good news from Lloyd's does anything to allow the government to continue its sell-off of the shares? Because obviously we'd had some announcement that there might be a delay because of the market turmoil. Certainly no plans to repeat the debut sale of the RBS shares. Sounds like that may be staying the case given the situation at RBS. But what about Lloyd's? It did. Well, George Osborne, the Chancellor, just over a month ago, said that a retail share sale of Lloyd shares at a discounted rate will now not go ahead in the spring. And this is following all the market turbulence and bank shares coming off across the board. However, after the latest set of Lloyd's results, the share price rocketed. It's now within a whisker of the 73.6p that the government paid for it during the bailout. And that's the point at which the trading plan, whereby Morgan Stanley drip feeds Lloyd shares into the market, that's the point at which that starts again. So we can expect shares to start selling off through this method again soon. And hopefully this is a boost to George Osborne's plans for a retail share sale at some point this year. OK, well, we'll watch that space. That's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Laura and Emma here in the studio, as well as Lee McCormack, our market infrastructure expert, who was our guest on the Stock Exchanges story, and also Martin from Canary Wharf. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye.